and welcome to a phobia-phobic episode of We Only Look Thin. <laughs> I am your epiphibophobic host, Catherine Weigel. <laughs> I have lost about 145, 150 pounds. Yeah. And with me today is my ophodiaphobic husband. Yeah. Donald Weigel. <laughs> yeah, no, I was... Uh, Too busy worrying about your phobia? Ophidiophobia is a fear of not being able to pronounce the names of phobias. I know. <laughs> it's not. Oh, no, it's a fear of snakes. We're talking about fear, but it is a fear of snakes. What did you say yours was? Fear of bees? No, fear of teenagers. Oh, fear of teenagers. <laughs> teenagers are up to no good. Yeah, true. They, I just don't like them. They're shady and shifty, yeah. and I was one at one point, and uh, I totally understand why grown-ups... were few that were shadier or shiftier than you oh we no definitely yeah, we were criming sure. it up me and my droogs criming uh, <laughs> it up we weren't actually <laughs> you had droogs <laughs> we we uh i used to i i used to grow up um i grew up in <laughs> <laughs> i used to grow up i used to grow up time ago. done with that i lived in a tourist town carmel yeah. by the sea california oh, yeah. and I've me me and my, my chums uh would sit in the park in the main square and just, just sit there like we honestly were not yeah. doing any crime we were probably just talking about Monty Python, I guess, and uh, many a kind police officer would be called over to us because we seemed shady and shifty. Yeah. Uh, we weren't. We were just sitting there just yeah. talking about. I am not going to tell a similar story because no one will believe that I had any chums back in <laughs> high school. You did. <laughs> Clearly, I was a loner. You were not. Had no friends. Um, hi, everyone. Hi. I thought you were going to tell a story about your... No, nah, no, I don't know. I had a mohawk when I was he did seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. I used to get pulled over by the police a lot, yeah, just because I had a mohawk. And you know, you would not. Look, we are very mild mannered now. You I would know. not believe that we were the punk kids and the and the cool goth kids. Uh, so, yeah. but that's that's another time, another story, another podcast. But we're talking about fears today. Fears today, yeah. In case you're wondering what all of this phobia talk uh, is about, uh, we're talking about fears, and uh, we are. Uh, we're not going to do a tip or product this week, uh, so we're just going to get right into it. Um, I understand that it is, uh, if you're listening to this when it comes out, it is essentially uh, St. Patrick's Day, but... Oh, wow. I am going to talk about, I mean, pretty much St. Patrick's Day, like it might as well be. Beerophobia? Uh, yeah. I am going to talk about uh, A Christmas Carol again. <laughs> It's his favorite story. It's my favorite story. And um, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Charles Dickens, um, The Christmas Carol was so popular that he How wrote- How popular was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was so popular that he wrote a sequel to it, and it was St. Patrick's Day themed, and it was called A St. Patrick's Day Song. And it was all about a guy who refused to drink green beer- and wouldn't wear green clothing and what is happening right would now pinch him and um and uh, so he was visited by three leprechauns and they convinced him to drink lots of green beer and keep St. Patrick's Day in his heart I do, all year. I neither conform confirm nor deny no, knowledge of, of any of this. None this of that is off true. the rails. None I of thought that is he true. was just gonna talk about a Christmas carol. Um but back around Christmas time, uh FX, which is a cable channel, uh if you don't know, cable TV channel, they came out with a brand new, uh, much darker version of A Christmas Carol uh, starring Guy Pierce. 
um, around Christmas time. And, you know, I had to watch it because I'm obsessed. And anyway, I'm not going to like rehash the whole thing, but there was one, one part. Um, it, it was a much more gritty, like realistic version. And the ghost of Christmas past takes Scrooge back to the school where it was a boarding school where he was essentially raised. And, they're at the grounds, and Scrooge says, oh, I recognize this place. I I vowed I would never go back there. And the ghost turns to him and says, you may have vowed that, but you go back there every night in your Ooh. dreams. Like, you, your fears of it recur to you over and over again. And if you go back there one more time, maybe you'll never have to uh, go back again. And so that got me thinking about, weight loss and of course because everything everything has to do with weight loss and i realized that this was sort of a metaphor for uh for weight loss and i spent so much of my life so many years over and over again being afraid being afraid of so many things that rather than just actually facing them and doing it, I instead trap myself in this circle of of not getting it done and staying um, dramatically overweight for most of my life. And, and so what I think we wanted to talk about today was what are these fears that we have about weight loss? And we we can all relate to the idea of fear of gaining weight, but what are our fears about the weight loss process? What are our fears about actually doing it and um, being successful at it, and what is stopping us from getting it done? Many things. <laughs> <laughs> the fear of teenagers, for one. Fear of teenagers is number one. My my second biggest fear in this whole thing was grizzly bears attacking the gym while I was there. And yeah, those are very. From, that could yeah. happen if you live in the Kodiaks or something. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> um, if you're from the Kodiaks. Let but, us know. You know what? What fears do we have, and how can we address them and get over them to actually achieve our weight loss and fitness and health goals? Well, and I think it can stem from many different areas. I think I know for for myself the the fear of the fear of childhood, <laughs> meophobia. Yeah. Um, it can stem from our childhoods, from overjudgmental family members or from critical peers, which I basically uh, was just surrounded by swarms of critical peers. Um, yeah, exactly. But you, one becomes afraid of coming out of one's shell because we're afraid of the judgment of others. That, I think, is, is sort of it at its core. Um, so fear comes from different places. It can come from our childhood. It can come from our own perfectionism. And I think we uh, have talked about perfectionism being a form of procrastination. We don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to seem imperfect. Um, and if we never try, we never we never fail, which is super great. Yeah. Um, and, and I found um, an interesting, uh, there's a, um, a psychotherapist in Southern California, Matt Traub, PhD, um, I found an article online that he was quoted as saying, weight is intertwined in people's sense of security and self-confidence. Um, so it has a far-reaching emotional impact in a lot of important areas of people's lives. So it is definitely entwined with, you know, a sense of who we are. Like, I know I... Um, tied my weight in so hard with who I was and my sense of self-worth that when I felt really overweight, I felt like I had less of a sense of self-worth. 
And I thought that I needed to lose weight in order to just feel better about myself and, you know, feel worthy of it in the first place. Well, and two, I think we can over-identify as failures if we are, I mean, I think there was some awful author, I won't say their name, who actually said, like, you might be super successful in life, but if you're overweight, you obviously are not trustworthy as a professional because you can't control your weight. Like, being judged like that is crazy town. Yeah, like, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I actually had um, somebody I worked with uh, years and years ago told me, and I was pretty overweight at the time. She said that she didn't like to hire overweight people because she thought it was indicative of them not working very hard. Oh my gosh. And I felt really awful. But it, like she was sort of saying it in a way of like, but you turned out okay. Oh, see, you're <laughs> one of the good guys. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Well, and two, I think our current self imagines that somehow our future self will be better able to cope with change than the us of today. We think, well, right now I'm dealing with a work thing or a family crisis or the kids are doing something. You know, when all of that is over, then I'll be better prepared to have this clean slate that I can act from. And we use all of that as reasons to not actually make change. We get sort of paralyzed by our current circumstance and our history to just ignore what we know we need to change about ourselves. And I think that that boils down to having this fear of the unknown, you know, the fear of like, what will I look like? What will my life be like if I actually were to achieve my weight loss goals? Like, what would that be? And of course, obviously, the fear of failure, if you know, if I I start this and I don't succeed, then what? Then where will I be? And I think that that is one of the core things that stops us from doing anything about it. If we don't try, then we can't fail because we aren't actually doing anything. Well, and if we haven't experienced a lot of what we consider big successes, if we're surrounded by people who we see are more, more successful than us, it can feel really intimidating to even try because we don't feel like we have the skill set. And I know too, we did that episode uh, on the hedonic treadmill. That's right. I said it. I'll say it again. Hedonic yeah, treadmill. The hedonic treadmill is not a uh, a fancy exercise bike. <laughs> the from Peloton, Peloton. Bike. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but rather, uh, it's the idea that that people need something new all the time. It's it's sort of that that phenomenon of you put a new painting on the wall of your living room, or you get a new couch and you love it and you feel like it's amazing, and then a few years later you're looking at it and it doesn't bring you the same joy, and so you need something new, even though it, the painting hasn't changed you're you've gotten used to it right so that spike in euphoria from getting a better job being down on the scale getting a raise winning the lottery getting married having kids like all of these things that we say like when this happens when i graduate i'll be happy when i pay off this bill i'll be happy and we go back to normal and then it doesn't feel special anymore and we feel like we're broken because of it um we have a fear of being let down or proven not good enough to succeed. Like it just doesn't, there's a risk in exposing ourselves like that. And when we expose our desires, it feels really vulnerable, especially if we're uncertain, if we have the skills to do them. And a lot of times we have the intention, like with the new year's resolutions, I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year. And that's your goal, but you don't actually have 
a lifestyle to get you there. And so you feel like a failure when really you just don't have a plan. The plan is where the success comes from, not the desire of the number. Yeah, and um, Matt Traub, um, the PhD, PhD I the PhD earlier. Matt Traub, yes, the PhD Matt Traub. <laughs> We're the talking about this, the very same, the same guy. Um, he mentions uh, also that people have a fear that it won't actually solve their problems. That people often tell their se- tell themselves, "If I'm skinny, I'm going to find love of my life, or I'll be successful in my career once I lose weight." And he says that it's a typical cognitive distortion thinking. That I just need to change this and everything will be better. In other words, it's that idea that once I lose weight, like that that's the only problem that I really have and that everything else in my life stems from that and that people actually, they realize that that's probably not true. And so they're afraid that if they do lose the weight and then their problems aren't solved, then they're going to have to face all of the other things that are going on. Yeah, I think I definitely sort of saw my weight loss as a mirage. Like I I thought about it for 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, exactly. But never really thought about what that person was doing. I I idolized them. I uh, put them up on a pedestal of perfection and being fixed, but it didn't actually ever occur to me that I had to bridge that gap of action instead of just the anxiety produced by thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. And like the the dream is pure. It's exactly as you imagined it. Like, oh, your thin self. It's like this moment where you're, I don't know, like you're in a cafe and all you have is one bite of cheesecake and then you like run off to the Louvre or something. Yeah. And it's you're you're this idealized, hyper focused version of yourself. When in reality, like we've lost weight. I don't know if we've told you about this, but like we still do the same stuff. Yeah, we're we're still the same people. We're just you know, thinner than we were before. Like we still make the same mistakes and and have the same issues with finances and family and and everything else. All the other apps, fun and friendship. Yeah, Uh, fun and friendship. (laughs) But like we're afraid that if we ever get our goal, get to our goal and it doesn't live up to our expectation, it will ruin everything. Like I thought I'd be happy once I got to this number on the scale and it almost diminishes all of your past thinking about it. Like, well, this is it. This is what I get at the end of the rainbow. Like, yeah. And and it's just your life. You were reading me a passage out of uh, a book called The Alchemist earlier that I think was exactly talking about this. Um, And I think you you have it here. I do. I have a copy of The Alchemist by Paul Coelho. It has been uh, translated. PhD? No. It has been translated into languages that don't even exist yet for the future generations. It's been translated into like 40 zillion yeah anyway uh but the the book is about a sheep herder yeah. um it's a f- i'm gonna read it from chapter one <laughs> I, I never miss a good sheep herder book cheap thrills personally like so, if it's about a sheep herder i in. have read it he's i will in. read the it. literal drummer boy <laughs> um so in this passage, uh, the young man is talking to a shopkeeper about the shopkeeper's desire to go to Mecca, to travel on a pilgrimage to Mecca. Yeah. And he says, so why don't you just go to Mecca now, asked the boy, because it is the thought of Mecca that keeps me alive. That's what helps me face the days that are all the same. These mute crystals on the shelves and lunch and dinner at the same horrible cafe. I'm afraid that if my dream is realized, I'll have no reason to go on living. 
You dream about your sheep and the pyramids, but you're different than me because you want to realize your dreams. I just want to dream about Mecca. I've already imagined a thousand times crossing the desert, arriving at the plaza of the sacred stone, the seven times I walk around it before allowing myself to touch it. I've already imagined the people who would be at my side and those in front of me and the conversations and prayers that we would share. But I'm afraid that it would all be a disappointment, so I prefer to just dream about it. That day, the merchant gave the boy permission to build the display. Not everyone can see his dreams come true the same way. Yeah. Yeah. That Mic is, drop. Yeah. Or typewriter drop, typewriter maybe, because he probably yeah. wrote it on a typewriter. Yeah, or computer, although I don't condone dropping computers. Um, but, you know, that deep down, a lot of us don't want to achieve our dreams because we are afraid that they won't live up to our expectations. You know, they talk a lot about don't meet your heroes because it will almost inevitably be a letdown. And Catherine and I recently binge watched The Crown and in it, the the queen's husband, Philip, he th- there's a section where they the moon landing happens and he builds up the idea of meeting the american astronauts like so hard in his head that when he actually meets them it's a huge letdown because they're just guys like right he end. thinks they're titans you know of humanity and bravery and he meets them and they're you know sniffling and coughing and they're like i don't know it was cool i guess i mean that's not exactly it we're paraphrasing but it's sort of that bridging that gap between what you imagine something will be like versus what it actually is is sometimes too hard to bear and i think we did an episode on sabotage uh a number of years ago because our (laughs) podcast has been around for so long yeah um we did an episode on sabotage and a lot of times sabotage comes from a place of identifying as a failure over a success because feeling like a failure seems more natural than being boastful and in a position where you're actually achieving a goal. And for me, uh, a friend of mine actually called me out because I I was up on or I'm up on the scale about 10 pounds from my lowest. And she said, sometimes I think you like the goal yeah. uh, and, and the purpose of losing weight. And when you're at your goal, what else is there? And I think, I mean, Donald had something about that too, about just sort of I have spent 40 some years thinking about my weight and how it's limited me and my job opportunities and my social interactions. And then I get there and I'm thin and only people know me as a thin person and I don't have yeah. my weight as an excuse. Yeah, I found there's a woman named Jen Hand who uh, lost a bunch of weight. She's got her own uh, podcast uh, that I think is called Cake Doesn't Count. And uh, I found a blog post from her where she talks about um, – uh, her sort of fear of losing weight, uh, that she says, a few years into my journey, I realized I was afraid of losing weight and keeping it off. Not only did weight loss send me back into the feeling of needing to control and restrict, she says, yikes, I lost weight. Now what do I do? But I was also terrified of who I was without my issues. If I didn't worry about food, my body, and my weight all the time, what would I talk about, think about, and do with my time? And The alchemist. The alchemist. Exactly. And I can definitely relate to that. And, you know, the good news here, I know we we haven't gotten to that portion of the show yet, but um, the good news here is that I still do nothing but talk about (laughs) and think about it. See? (laughs) So that part hasn't changed. But there is also a fear of success. And uh, I found another PhD, Suzanne Babel, who. um, Oh, lady? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. 
Um, she did. No, can I can I explain that? Yeah, I uh, had a, a boss at one point who was female. She was a vice president, and yeah. a, a gentleman called complaining about some service. And I said, "Oh well, our VP is out this week. She's on vacation." And the guy actually said, "Well, you have a lady boss. Well, I think it's super that you ladies are yeah. doing things other than riveting." Like I was in shock. It did not go well for me. But it uh, anyway. So yeah, this was in the twenty. 20- First century, on the PhD. Yeah, this wasn't in the 1950s no, when this happened. It was a little shocking. Um, Suzanne Babel, uh, PhD, says that feelings of trauma are very close to feelings of excitement. So it actually sometimes being successful and feeling a victory can actually feel to people in a very similar way that trauma feels. And if you've had a lot of trauma in your life, you know, it can turn you off from the actual feeling of excitement, which is also pretty eye-opening as to why you might not want that success. Well, and Brene Brown, not PhD. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or no, maybe she is. I don't know. Brene Brown, if you're listening, let us know. Um, But she actually talks about numbing the bad feelings also requires you to numb the good feelings and you can't have one without the other. So if you're trying to avoid the bad feelings, you automatically limit your ability to feel the joy part because you're already anticipating disappointment. So you kind of live in this band of mediocrity. Um, So I think that it's true that sort of that fear really is Fear's a problem. There, I said it. <laughs> Fear is a problem. That about sums it up. Um, I think that another thing is you. we can also be afraid that relationships will change. And we did a whole um, episode recently about people in your life not a supporting A wonderful you. episode. A wonderful, lauded. magical episode. Lauded. It won all kinds of awards on the internet um, about uh, relationships and people in your life not supporting you. And I think that we can really worry about people being unsupportive if we want to change ourselves and uh, also perhaps being jealous of our success. You know, it's sometimes they're, you know, misery loves company. And if you've got friends and loved ones who you can commiserate with and be like, boy, you know, I, I'm a hundred pounds overweight and you are too. And, you know, we're, there's almost a certain sense of camaraderie there. And there may be a fear in losing that camaraderie if you end up having some success, if your loved ones and friends don't. For sure. I mean, so on this journey, we've had to change our priorities. There can be a fear of changing spending habits, weekends, bar hopping, casual grazing, sitting with our feelings. Like that's all scary stuff to change. Like actually just being present and aware and mindful is really scary. It can feel like a big loss to not just be able to order takeout all the time or go to the movies and order, you know, quadrupled giant buckets of things. Yeah, when and- I found out I had uh, type 2 diabetes, you know, I started mourning the loss of my life, like not my actual like I was going to die, but the sort of, you know, the purpose in- for living. Yeah, the the air quotes like I I will no longer be able to enjoy food ever again now, you know, and I was so upset was, about that. He was convinced that it was all over, but I had been practicing positive thinking, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. Yeah. It'll be exciting. So change and success can bring up a lot of feelings, as we've talked about. There are many people who don't want the attention that they think that they're going to get when they lose weight. They don't yeah. want people commenting on them. 
I've got to say, growing up, I never received a cat call or like not that that is something that women want, but I was never cat called. Yeah. I was more, you know, ridiculed, which didn't feel great. But I think some women actually fear that like, well, if I lose weight, I'm going to get a different kind of attention from people. Now, people and may have called you cat because your name is Catherine, though. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. I, I was called Kit Kat. Not cat. Um, <laughs> I cat call you all the time. He now. does. Yeah, Thanks and, for objectifying and, and wolf me. Wolf <laughs> whistle and the whole thing. Wolf <laughs> whistle. <laughs> Sounds like a private eye. Yeah, it does. Um, but we hide behind our weight, and I definitely did that. I used it as an excuse for why I wasn't getting a promotion or why people didn't like me. And if I lost the weight, which I did, and then I didn't have any boundary between me and actual feelings and people. Yeah. Um, people can judge us for changing, like we talked about in the relationship episode. People have their own hangups about what they uh, think that we are capable of. There's also the fear of gaining back the weight. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did that for years and years and years. I had lost 60 pounds on this last time journey. And I remember posting online about being terrified that it was just all going to go out the door immediately and I was going to gain it all back. Yeah. And I didn't have proof that that was going to happen, but I just felt like it was so tenuous that I didn't believe in myself. Well, there's still a part of me that that holds on to that fear a little bit. Um, because I know that I, I had lost uh, a bunch of weight before and gained it back. And I know this time is very, very different in how I did it, but there is still a part of me that knows that I have it within me to let this all go. And, and that fear is definitely still present. Well, and two, I think there's a fear of becoming a person that you don't want to be. If the people that you see in your life who are healthy and fit, if you think they're jerks, and you go, yeah. well, I don't want to turn into a jerk by losing weight. Like, right. uh, you know, thin people are bossy and thin people mean. are judgmental. And like, they <laughs> look down their nose at, you know, every time you somebody else eats a dessert, they're like, oh, that's not clean eating. You yeah. Know, that Ugh. kind of thing. But like we said, there's also, you know, the fear of if I'm successful, I won't have the life I have now. I won't have the big family dinners on Sunday. I won't be able to sleep in and drink coffee in the morning. I'll have to go, you know, to a, a fitness class or something like that. Yeah, and and there's this fear of like of being miserable forever. And you know, I know for me, even now I still equate food with fun or fun with food, you know, vice versa. And the idea that I have to some, in some way restrict what I'm eating means I need to restrict my fun. And a large part of this is getting over that idea, you know, that you can have fun without food and it doesn't have to be like every chance you get to have fun doesn't have to involve indulging in some, you know, decadent meal. Well, and I think we also, and I don't know, we've said everything before. I guess you should just cut out every time I say I've said this before. <laughs> but it feels good to be right about ourselves. Yeah. It feels good to say, I can't do it because I have family and I have obligations and my husband eats Oreos. And like right. when we have excuses and we protect those excuses, we get to keep those excuses. And when we're challenged, like, hey, what if you just stopped eating after eight o'clock? Like, oh, I've tried that before and it's never going to work because yeah. I eat while I'm sleeping. Like, if you keep fighting for your challenges, you get to keep those challenges. And right. we're going to talk. Uh, I know all we're doing is talking about 
fears, but we're going to give you some some tips on maybe how to change your mindset a little bit because it is possible because we did it. Like that's number one. We did it. We were in no position to inspire anyone. Yeah, for sure. And I think that lesson number one is realizing that your excuses uh, prevent you, they protect you from stepping outside of your comfort zone, but they also prevent you from reaching your full potential. Um, every time I lied to myself and said that there was nothing I could do or that I had to, I had to become perfect overnight, all of those excuses I used to tell myself about not having time and that my metabolism was terrible and that I had it worse than everybody else, those were just excuses. They were stopping me from actually achieving my dream. And once I cut through all of that and realized it was lies, then it was just a matter of putting the habits in place and and going through the motions and making it happen. Well, and I still, I see people who do that. And I know I see it in myself and it might not be in the weight loss category, but other categories. When I see people using that excuse of like, well, that never, that'll never work. You know, I just... Yeah. I kind of cringe a little bit. I'm like, I was there. Like, that was totally me a few years ago. And it's hard to just let someone go through that process because proselytizing has never, like, being yelled at to lose weight has never worked. It's not like I carry around, like, a book of my old photos, right. my before and now. I was like, oh, drop it in front of someone. Oh, is that? Yeah. Oh, pardon me. That's just my before and after photos. Maybe we should start doing that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that would be the kind of annoying people that we rail against. Exactly. But- Getting over the idea that exercise and dieting, and I put dieting in quotes, has to be painful. Um, and look, it it isn't without work. I, I don't mean that you don't have to Can't do Can't I just work. do nothing? Yeah. You have to do something. You have to do more than you're doing now. But you don't have to go to an extreme to where you absolutely hate everything about it. And one of the keys for me was realizing that I could do it in baby steps, that I could gently add exercise to my life and I could gently take away calories from my life. And I didn't have to go, you know, from zero to miserable overnight. Um, I, I took two years until I went to miserable. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was trying to make up some marriage joke like, oh, you got that when you said I do, my guy. Yeah, exactly. Tough look. Um, no, but, you know, I'm not miserable doing what I'm doing because I gently introduced it into my life. And if if I was eating 4,500 calories a day, which I used to, and I said, you have to go down to 1,800, then I might have been miserable. But I gently stepped it back until it just sort of became natural. And seeing results along the way was really motivating to keep going. I was like, oh, this wasn't so bad. i cut myself down to 3,500 calories and I'm slowly losing some weight. You know what? I can keep doing this. And you know what? If I bet if I cut down a little more calories, then I can keep going. And it's very encouraging. Well, and when you started, you did not have that positive mindset. You were no. very negative. And no, I am positive that I did not. <laughs> um, but I uh, read a book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by... Shad Homesteader. Yeah. And he talks about changing your language from I can't, I'll never, it's too late, like that'll never work, to I'll try again. I mean, he has a whole list. I'm not going to yeah. uh, paraphrase the whole thing, but it's like, I might be able to stop eating at eight o'clock. I think I could eat on smaller plates. I could go for a five minute walk. That might do me a little bit of good. 
I'm going to give that a try. Like, that is so much better than it'll never, no, 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 no. Because yeah, it's a really great book. And and changing that I can't to I can't yet. Yeah. You know, and I, I will link to the book in the show notes. We've talked about it before. But I... I oftentimes used to say, what's wrong with me? Why am I so stupid? Why can't I get this? And, you know, instead of that now, I tell myself, well, I am not able to do this right now, but I know if I try. We recently started doing this strength training video. Uh, it's been about a month ago now. And the first time that, that we did it, I thought it was impossible. And I didn't think I could ever get there. And now I'm able to do, after just a month of doing it consistently, I'm able to do almost the whole thing as well as the the instructor on the video. I'm not quite there yet, but I can see that it, it is within my reach. And there was a time at which I might have just tried that video once or twice and just given up and thought to myself, this is impossible. I'll never get there. But I know now that if I stick to it, that I can do it. Yeah. And it, for me, I'm also doing the videos and we're, we're not going to talk too much about fitness in this episode because I think we're going to talk about it more in the next episode. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to tell you what happened. You'll have to find out next time. Exactly. Um, no, but I modify. I do push-ups on my knees instead of on my toes. Like it's okay to modify and take things slowly and to make changes that feel right for you instead of being bossed around by a plan or the internet. And one thing, you know, which leads me to my next thing. One thing that can help you get over your fears of doing this is really researching what you'll be doing, watching videos online, even if they're not exercise videos, videos about about nutrition and videos about way to ways to log food, videos about meal prep, like all that sort of thing. And um, listening to podcasts, you know, like ours, like others, like one of the things, you know, we listen to the Half Size Me podcast quite a bit, and we listen to all kinds of things that aren't related to weight loss, but are related to habits it all and, comes back. and positive mindset and all of those things. And applying it to this really helps. And all of those, getting those other voices in your head can really help you get over your fear of doing it. Well, and I think something you didn't touch on, Donald. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't touch on something? You didn't touch on it. Uh, You identify as a questioner in the Gretchen Rubin world. If you see data that makes sense to you, you are much more likely to follow a plan. Yeah, There is also the analysis, paralysis, research, and over-research, and never actually do anything because you want- That's very true. um, So you didn't think of that, did you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sounding like such a jerk. Why are you so mean? I'm not. I love you. But it's like for you as a questioner, that makes sense. I know for me, I've bought books, I've signed up for plans and then never did anything with them. Yeah. And it's the action. Like there's there's a point for research and then there's a point of just like do something. Like you you were talking about that earlier as we were prepping for this episode. You were talking about the the, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Like, I am terrified of going to a Weight Watchers meeting, but really, what is the worst that can happen? Rot, rotten garbage thrown at me. I don't think people bring rotten garbage <laughs> to those meetings. Um, it's possible that, like, a swarm of Africanized killer bees may hit oh, the meeting. Yeah. Like, no, I have a friend. I saw it on Reddit. That or happened. giant spiders will attack. Yes. But otherwise, you know, short of that, like, really, like, what is the worst that can happen? Well, I often sit with things in my brain and I can come up with 50 problems to any solution. And uh, I'm very good at it. I'm great (laughs) at that. 
But that, like, the Weight Watcher meeting is too far. It's too much money. I, like, I don't want people to see my weight. I don't want to, like, what if the chairs aren't comfortable? What if everybody looks at me? Like, you can come up with 50 anxiety-producing reasons that something's going to go wrong. But realistically, the Weight Watcher people are there to help you, and everybody's there because they have an issue. And the worst thing that could happen is... It's boring. It's not for you. It's not for you. And you try something else. And, you know, we talked recently about decision fatigue. That's easy for you to say. Decision fatigue. That's not what I thought you were going to say. And the Tiny Decisions app, um, which, you know, if if you really can't decide what to do, Put all of your options onto the app and let the app pick for you. And you know what? These these weight loss and fitness decisions don't have to be forever. Like when I first got the diabetes diagnosis, I gave up sugar and flour and pasta and I thought it was forever. And it turned out that it wasn't. And I was able to work those things back into my life. And now I enjoy them fairly regularly, but in much more moderation than I used to. Well, and I think perfectionists too... They think that when they make a choice and when they say they, I mean me, that um, (laughs) (laughs) they is the me that I. Yeah. But I would say like, okay, I'm Weight Watchers is it. If I don't do Weight Watchers, that's the only thing that's going to work. And if it doesn't work, that means I'm a failure and everything's a failure and this is never going to work. And see, I told you so, like I'm the outlier who can't lose weight. And we put so much pressure on a plan to be perfect, and then we want to prove to ourselves that we're incapable and we're the, the, you know, the delicate flower that just can't do the work. There is a combination of food and fitness and mindset that will help you get to your goals. Yeah. And just being diligent in trying and revising and refining. So, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Worst that could happen is Weight Watchers doesn't work. What's the best that could happen? I get some great tools and I learn a couple of new things and it makes me uh, more well-informed for the next time. I don't do Weight Watchers, but the the food tracking that I learned at Weight Watchers, I still use those skills to this day. And I find that part of it invaluable. And I know that I also used to get hung up on things that would work for me for a while that would stop working. I would feel like, well, this used to work. Why isn't it working now? I guess I should just give up entirely. But now I know that I need to keep trying new combinations of things and not getting too stuck in a rut because that hedonic treadmill, uh, you know, amongst other things is going to come around and I'm going to start getting tired of the food, you know, the the wonderful 120 calorie yogurt that I found that I couldn't stop eating for six months. Eventually I'm going to get tired of it and I'm going to need something different. But just because I've, I've gotten tired of it doesn't mean I should just stop eating everything and go back to the way I was before. Right. I mean, there are things uh, we were talking about in Walt place the other day, W O L T place. W O L T about, you know, giving up on weight loss or just feeling like you can't go on. And the question is more, what won't you give up? Like, would you give up going to tap dancing? No. Okay, well, then you still have tap dancing. Would you give up having salad? No, salads are good. Yeah. Would you give up? You know, I mean, there are lots of things, even without the calorie counting, that can enrich your life that aren't punishments. None of this is to make your life worse or, you know, be terrible. It's about improving it. And we don't believe we can get there. But we did. Like, Donald and I got there. Yeah. And 
I know, I mean, maybe there's a whole other episode on what our life is like now uh, versus what it was like before, but we're, we still have challenges. It felt great to get on the scale that first time and see the number that I am now. Now it feels normal. Yeah. It's the new normal. It's fine. It's, it's great. It's amazing. But it's also not, you, you know, that euphoria. Like, could you imagine a 40-year euphoria of being like, I, that's my scale, everybody. <laughs> like, whoa, she's still hanging on to that scale victory. Awesome. Yeah. Great. What else yeah, you got like going on? it's like living off that, uh, you know, your high school uh, victories, you know, well, <laughs> for but, the rest of your life. Like that, Uncle Rico. In, exactly. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. But that thing that you said about that woman uh, from that awful podcast, whatever it was called. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um of that, like, what am I if I'm not a person who has weight issues? Like, yeah. we spend so much time being a certain thing, whether it's a student who just keeps going back to get additional PhDs because they don't want to get a real job in the real world. They become a parent and only identify as a parent, and then the kids leave home and they don't feel like they have anything. Yeah. For me, weight was everything. And, like, what am I if I'm not thinking about weight? I still think about weight all the time. But I'm also able to expand into other areas because I know I've ac- accomplished this. What else can I accomplish? And uh, I just have a few more quick things to touch on. One of the things that can help you getting over your fears is to try and find uh, fitness activities and a diet that meets your current level. Like it is not super smart to go from um, – be, you know, doing nothing to trying to run five miles, you know, you know, from couch to five miles immediately or to drop your calories from 4,500 a day down to 800 a day. Like, I don't think it's ever a good idea to go down that low in the first place. But. Well, and like Forrest Gump, what was it in Forrest Gump? He just, he's like, I just decided to run. I just decided I just to start decided running. To run. And th- before I knew it, I ran entirely across country. Yeah. yeah. Like that's not what actual life is like. It's no. Small steps. No. And also, um, one thing you can do is uh, find a group of people who are where you are or or can relate to where you are now who used to be there and who won't judge you i think a lot of you know we're afraid of that judgment and finding people who can support you no matter what you know we have an online support group there are others out there that you can find and find your people people who understand and have been there and can give you advice and really sometimes you just need cheerleaders around you right and people who are working on being them, their best selves too. Someone else who is working and hustling in the same way that you want to can inspire you to be better yourself. If you share an office with someone who's really moody and cranky and thinks work is terrible, that mood is going to affect you. If you work yeah. and share an office, this happened to me, with someone who was really positive and fast-paced and getting the job done, that's inspiring. But Yeah, you, that's you, something I've really tried hard to work on at my actual job, uh, you know, which has nothing to do with weight loss or fitness, but trying to keep that positive attitude because when somebody is complaining all the time and is, you know, saying nothing but negative things, like it's really a downer and it's really startling and to we've be been around there. somebody else. And I used to be that guy and I still am that guy sometimes, but I'm, I'm trying hard not to be. One last thing I have, uh, I'm not sure what else you it's have, odd. I have nothing else to say. Wow. This is so weird. That might be the first time. I know. The last thing I wanted to uh, to impart, and again, this is something that we've said over and over again, but try to get over that idea of getting it over with quickly. Like we have a whole episode about, you know, getting over, getting it over with quickly. And 
you really have the rest of your life to do this. And if it is too painful for you to try and lose a pound a week, you know, first of all, a lot of people want to go in and lose five pounds a week, which is oh just it's unrealistic and unsustainable. But if if losing a pound a week is too difficult for you to maintain, how about just losing a quarter pound a week? And doing what what you have to do to do that much. Donald has some math associated with this number. Donald, one quarter of one pound is not going to do anything. <laughs> That's what a lot of people think. But um, really, if you, if you do nothing, if you let your fears overcome you and you end up doing nothing, what's the best thing that will happen to you in five years? The absolute best thing that will happen is that you stay the weight that you are now and you'll be five years older, so chances are if you stay the way you are now that your health will be even worse. And what's more likely to happen if you if you give in to your fears and don't do anything is that you're going to put on weight. Yeah. And you're going to be even less happy with yourself, and your health is going to be even worse than it is now. And but you're going to see pictures of yourself today going, I did not know how good I had it back in the day when I was listening to Walt. Exactly. <laughs> and but if nobody you, says that. But if remember you, when I listened to Walt, those were the good days. <laughs> I think everyone says that. Um but if you lose just a quarter pound a week, 5 years from now, you're down 60 pounds. And imagine what? How does that math strikes being down again? 60 pounds. Like even if you have 150, 200 pounds or more to lose, imagine being down 60 pounds instead of being where you are now or instead of gaining weight. Like how much prouder of yourself will you be? How much more grateful will you be that you didn't give into your fears? And how much better will your health and fitness be at that point? Well, and here's the thing. Remember how I said I had nothing to say? I yeah. had something to say. She lied. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, it was true, and now it's changed. <laughs> so here's the thing. This is not a dress rehearsal. Yeah. This is not your first try on a Groundhog's Day that you can do over again. Yeah. We have, to quote the amazing uh, soap opera, we've got one life to live. Like, <laughs> And... We seriously, this is it. This is it. This is the only time you have. This is the only time you have to invest in yourself. This is the only time to start advocating for yourself, to start setting boundaries. I don't know why I'm so fired up right now. Yeah. But like, we spend so much time being small in our world, not taking up space, not speaking up for ourselves, not taking- And being afraid. And not taking risks. Yeah. And we think- somehow that maturity is 10 years older than whatever we are now. Well, people in their 50s know how to get it done. People in their 60s, finally, you know, they're tired of the BS and they start living their best lives. Like when I magically get there, that will happen to me. Yeah. And I remember when I hit 40, I was thinking, okay, people at 40 have it all figured out. So I guess if I don't have it figured out by 40, it's too late for me. And it is such nonsense. It is such an invisible force field that we think we're going to go through. And if you don't start advocating for yourself right now, you're not magically going to feel like it in five years. You're not Your older self is not going to magically have that power. The power comes from investing in yourself slowly over time, challenging yourself a little bit, being kind to yourself. It is a hard balance. But anxiety comes from inaction. It comes from feeling like we don't have a choice. And every single day, we have a choice in this journey. And starting to take that risk, being afraid and doing it anyway, yeah. like 
okay, I'm afraid. I'm doing it. We're making it happen. I'm, I'm still moving forward. It doesn't always feel amazing. It doesn't always feel like, you know, a high five sequence from the end of, you know, Chips or the A-Team <laughs> or something. But like, it is so worth it to be the age that I am now and know that Less than five years ago, none of this was happening. Yeah. None of it was happening for you. None of it was happening for me. And knowing that I feel like our best part of our life is still ahead of us. I'm not like going back to high school days saying that those were the glory days, like not doing it. Like I want the best to be yet to come and I'm going to have to earn it. It's not something that's magically going to happen. I've got to hustle for it. And I believe that you can hustle for it, dear listener. Wow. (laughs) Boy, for somebody who had nothing else to say, she sure did have some stuff to say. Well, thank you so much for listening to what both of us had to say. Um, And uh, we really appreciate every single one of you. Uh, It means a lot to us. It really, really does when you listen. And um, if you would like to uh, help us out a little bit, um, going to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review really helps people find the show. It helps grow the show. And grow our egos and grow our egos yes we love reading them uh we really appreciate every one of you and uh thank you so so much if you would like to uh follow us uh on the socials you can find us at facebook and twitter and instagram at we only look thin you can email us at we only look thin at gmail.com you can uh what else can they do you can go to our website we only look thin.com and click on join our support group for more information on Walt place w-o-l-t place uh, we have two different membership options a monthly with a complimentary three-day trial and a three-month membership with a complimentary seven-day trial um, it is an amazing group i'm so proud of it and yeah. uh it keeps me going every day so it sure does it and sure it does. uh it, it might keep you going as well so if you still don't know the difference between the fear of snakes or the fear of teenagers or the fear of grizzly bears, <laughs> just remember that Catherine and I are an, an inspiration nation. The information that you hear on this podcast is for informational purposes only. The hosts are not medical professionals. You should always consult with your doctor, nurse, or other certified health professional before beginning any diet or fitness programs.